Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Did you know that you can claim CME credit for many of TMA Practice Well podcast? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's forward slash CME TOGO. Register for your podcast and follow the instructions to claim CME. The content of this CME to go podcast does not relate to any product of a commercial interest. Therefore, there are no relevant financial relationships to disclose. Please be advised the information and opinions presented as part of this podcast should not be used or referred to as primary legal source and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I manage the Texas Medical Association Education Center, where through webinars, publications, and podcasts with CME to go we strive to provide physicians a reliable resource to help you and your practice thrive. Whenever we plan a new program, one of the most important pieces, and sometimes one of the most challenging, is the marketing plan. Figuring out the best way to let you know TMA has something new for you. Here at TMA, we have a marketing department that is led by Lena Banks. Lena is a strategic marketing professional who is passionate about implementing digital marketing initiatives. TMA is really very grateful to have her. You, however, as a small business owner of a medical practice, may not have a Lena on staff. Marketing is a broad, big topic, and when we plan for the podcast, I asked Lena to break it down to something digestible. Lena, welcome, and thank you for joining our podcast. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl, for that wonderful introduction. So on the agenda today is to discuss the marketing process, the importance of establishing your audience, and using your marketing channels appropriately, as well as what components make for an effective marketing campaign. All right, this sounds manageable. So where should we begin? So let's start off with a definition. Marketing is the strategy and tactics used to motivate or incentivize others to take a desired action. And the key thing to take from this is that marketing is a customer-driven activity. Part of what you'll be doing with marketing is researching or reaching a large audience and then slowly whittling that down to the people or, in your case, the patients, colleagues, etc., for whom what you're offering is going to meet their needs. 
keep in mind those needs could be known or unknown. And if unknown, another part of your work is making a convincing argument that the need so that you can then make the case for why you're best to fill it. I like to say that marketing is a series of data-driven experiments. It's an ongoing comprehensive process or series of activities that really is supposed to support your larger and more long-term practice goals. So it does require planning, and because it's customer-driven, much of that planning is around how and where to reach the right audience with the right message at the right time. So today I'll present six steps to marketing your practice. First, understand your market. Second, know what you do well and how you can improve. Third, identify SMART goals and what success looks like for the long term. Next, set a budget. Next, map your audience's journey using the marketing hourglass. And then finally, measure and adjust. I love things broken down to steps I can follow, but I have little experience with marketing and this is still really daunting. How do you begin with understanding your market? Here's where some people will start to tune out because having a plan already sounds like a lot of work. But having a plan for how you'll move forward is actually going to save you a lot of time, energy, and likely money. Because whether you're in a large or a small practice, if you're listening to this presentation, you're likely not just the physician, but also a CEO or a marketing decision maker, or you perform some other business function in addition to your quote unquote day job. So that means you have to find the low hanging fruit, the things that will definitely change the trajectory of your practice. And going through the work to build a plan first is what's going to help you find those easy wins so that you're being efficient with all your resources. So the first step to building your plan is to understand the market you're practicing in and the needs that exist there. This includes asking questions like, what's your market share? What's your growth potential for your specialty or for your community? What will be happening in six months to your target patient group or in one year? Obviously, if your practice sits in the middle of a community with an aging population, but you're a pediatrician, your marketing strategy is going to have to be different than if you were in an up and coming community with lots of young families. Uh, you can't predict something like the current pandemic level public health crisis, but if you're sitting in this space right now, you can probably start thinking about what things might look like if conditions continue this way, get worse, get better. Many physicians decided to implement telemedicine in 2020 in response to the pandemic. And that's an example of a market-driven decision that helps meet the needs of your patients. Can you give us another example, something that's not driven by the COVID-19 pandemic? So who are the influencers, influencers for your location, your area or specialty? And to talk about this, you might consider doing what's called a stakeholder analysis to help you gather your thoughts. Your stakeholders aren't just your patients. They're also your colleagues, your staff, your potential staff, your community, uh, legislators, payers, hospital systems. Look outside of the obvious and search you're outside of your own channels and your own network to think about substitute services, complementary businesses, competing businesses. And these can be at various levels, local, regional, statewide, and even national. So take some time to think about all of the stakeholder roles in your market, um, whether they have an interest in what you do, whether they have 
power to influence what you do in a good or a bad way, and whether they might be able to help or hinder whether you reach your goals. Um, so, for instance, if one of your goals is to increase your referrals, your stakeholder list might include colleagues in the area who could make introductions to referring physicians. Understanding your market is essential to planning your marketing activity because the channels and messages you use to communicate your value will rely heavily on this foundational information. All right. Now that we have an idea of our market, what's the next step? So the next thing you'll want to do is to complete a SWOT. SWOT stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. And you might be asking, well, what's the difference between strengths and opportunities or weaknesses and threats? And the answer is that your strengths and your weaknesses are internal to your practice. Opportunities and threats are external. So questions you might want to ask yourself regarding your strengths and weaknesses are things like, what's the most critical factor to my practice's success? Is it customer satisfaction, days and accounts receivable, daily patient volume? Um, what, like staff training, for instance, might contribute positively or negatively to that critical factor? Uh, another question might be, what operational problems you've identified in the organization? Uh, what things cause those problems to exist or what's not performing to expectations or has the greatest room for improvement? And then finally, what kind of things differentiate your practice from competitors in the marketplace? If you can think about those strengths in a positive way, then you can make moves to improve what you're doing or reduce what you're not doing well. As I mentioned, opportunities and threats are external. They come from things outside of your practice, and generally they're outside of your control. So in these cases, your questions are more about what or who you can leverage to meet your goals or what market forces you need to try to avoid or guard against. So questions in this area might be what factors contribute positively to the practice outlook. These might be things like expanding patient population or a decrease in competitors in your area. Um, what are the outside pressures being felt by your practice? Things that may contribute negatively to the practice outlook. Um, are there a lot of competing practices or substitute services popping up? Is there a lot of practice consolidation happening around you? You'll want to review and update your SWOT at least once a year. Because in addition to helping you plan future marketing initiatives, it will help you see your bigger picture progress over time. And another tip is to be sure to ask for feedback from patients and staff through formal or informal surveys along the way. They may have input or valuable per perspectives that you haven't considered. Okay, Lena. So just to recap, strength and weaknesses are internal things. Um, something I have control over and opportunities and threats are external factors like an aging population or a competing practice in my area. All right, so now we've defined our market and we've identified our strength and weakness, opportunities and threats. So what's next? The next step in developing your marketing plan should be to identify your goals. This may seem pretty simple, but in my experience, it actually is one of the hardest things to do if you do it well. And by well, I mean that your goals are what we call SMART goals. And you've probably heard or seen this acronym before. It stands for specific, 
measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Some people use realistic for the R, but I prefer relevant because in marketing, that's kind of the point of a campaign. So for instance, some goals that would meet the criteria for a SMART goal would be things like increasing the number of new patients by 10% this month over last, increasing the number of referring physicians by 15% this year over last, shifting your payer mix by 20% from payer A to payer B this year. But if your goal is to gain 100 Facebook followers within a month, that meets the criteria for being specific, measurable, attainable, and time-bound, but it's really important to ask yourself whether it's relevant to your larger practice goals. And if it is, then how? Why is that important? Taking these steps will help you recognize whether you should spend the time or energy toward meeting a specific goal. And if you do, you'll also have the expectations for what the activity should result in. And this is also why you did the SWOT. If you already know which practice functions have the greatest room for improvement or which outside factors will most impact your practice's overall success, you can set SMART goals that directly address those areas. Okay, yes, this makes sense. And I like the point you made to focus on what helps you reach your larger practice goals. Make sure it's relevant. Okay, let's talk about the fourth step now, the budget. You can get started on a campaign with as little as a few hundred dollars. But to get a good idea of what you should be spending to market your practice, think of your practice as a product. So your total marketing spend should really depend on where you are in the product, quote unquote, life cycle. Because every practice is so different, I won't go too deeply into this, except to say that for each stage of your practice life cycle, you should be looking at the gross revenue you expect to make during that stage and then set a marketing budget accordingly. Those stages are the introduction stage, where you spend up to 20% of your gross revenues, the growth stage, 12 to 20% of your growth, or I'm sorry, of your revenues, maturity, 7% to 12% of your revenues, and then decline or adjustment where you spend zero to 7% of gross revenues. During the introduction phase, Things like a brand relaunch, moving to a new neighborhood, expanding your practice, adding new services or expanding your hours, or maybe even changing your operations. All of that requires more touch points with your audience just to make sure they're aware of what you now offer. And the final thing I'll say on budget, and this may be obvious, but how you allocate your budget makes a huge difference. And part of the work you've already done and that we're going to talk about here in a bit is meant to help you put your marketing dollars into places where they can have the most impact on your practice. So now we're going to talk about the marketing hourglass. You might have heard of something similar or of something called a marketing funnel. But picture an hourglass sliced into sections horizontally from top all the way through the narrow middle and then continuing down to the bottom. Every layer along this hourglass from top to bottom is a decision point for your audience. The shape of the hourglass kind of conveys two things. First, the number of people in your audience narrows as you move through the hourglass. Remember, marketing is customer driven. 
So let's say you're a pediatrician. You might start out by making an announcement to all the people in your area about your practice on social media. But then maybe only 50% of the ones who saw your message are parents who are going to visit your website. And then maybe 20% of those are actually the ones who call your practice and maybe submit their contact info online. And then maybe by that time, you're able to convince 80% of those people to schedule an appointment. As each of those decisions are being made by the customer, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to continue along through your funnel or hourglass, consistently presenting them with the next step. The audience is the quote-unquote sand and should flow smoothly through the process. If your practice serves their needs, there should be a piece of collateral or other tactic that makes it easy for them to choose you. The second thing to note about the hourglass is that interactions can become more personalized, more targeted, or meaningful to your audience as they move through it. So especially towards the middle of the hourglass, think about what you know about who you're talking to and how that can help you drive their decisions. The hourglass is such an important planning tool because it can help you determine what channels, like your website or social media, as well as what collateral, like case studies or blog posts, that you need to have available to your practice or your patients or other audiences to drive them through that decision-making process. So at the top of the hourglass is engagement. This is your audience just seeing or just finding you. And the purpose here for your collateral and materials is brand awareness. You wanna invite them to learn more. So examples of the, the types of collateral you would want to deploy in this phase are things like business cards, flyers, going to networking events, or doing community outreach. The second stage, a little lower in the funnel, is education or research. This is where your potential customers identify their problems and potential solutions, which includes you. You have to build trust in this phase and get them to consider who you are. The next stage is evaluation, and that's where they're comparing and judging value. The purpose here is to deliver your value proposition. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But examples of collateral here are things like your 30-second pitch for referrals, um, a list of the insurance you take on your website for patients, or adding your NPI number to that same list and providing it to physicians for referrals back to your practice. All of those things are part of a value proposition that's allowing people to see exactly what you do and how you do it. The next stage is the decision stage. The purpose here for you is just to remove the barriers to purchase. You want to invite patients to complete all their forms online, or you want to make sure that you provide that referral form directly uh, with that NPI number so that there is absolutely nothing standing in the way of them choosing your practice. Normally the funnel ends at the decision point, but especially for service-oriented businesses like medical practices, the point is not to have just one patient visit or receive one physician referral and call it done like you would if you were buying a pair of shoes. The point for you would be to go further and help the patient adopt. So that's the first stage just below the middle of the, the middle of the hourglass. In adoption, 
you're trying to get people to show up, to fill out their patient forms, to use your portal, to engage with you, to ask you for your diagnostic codes if you haven't provided them already and we're talking about referrals. So the point here is to get those people not only deciding to choose you, but then to continue to choose you. Further below is re-engagement, and that's about retention. As I mentioned, if you make it really easy for people to choose you, you should also make it easy for them to stick in your funnel. Growing customer retention rates by as little as 5% can help your profit improve by 25% or more. So the purpose during this stage is really about building satisfaction and loyalty. You wanna follow up with any questions or concerns. Uh, make it really easy for people to ask you what they need. The final stage is expansion. Expanding your reach organically through patients or other stakeholder advocates or champions. The purpose here is growth. You wanna do things like invite people to tag, share, repost your content. So examples of collateral you might want to build here are um, a flyer or something like that that asks your patients to post reviews on review sites or asks them to refer a friend. Part of marketing is to perpetuate the cycle of filling and refilling that hourglass so that you can drive those decisions for your audience and then increase your reach back out through the re-engagement and expansion phases of the hourglass. All right. So use the hourglass as the strategy to decide what I want to say and where I need to say it. And my budget may range from as much as 20% of my revenue to as little as 7%, depending on where I'm at in my practice life cycle. Now then, where do we go from here? So now that you have a general understanding of what you're trying to do, sending audiences through that hourglass by attempting to affect their decision making in your favor, now you'll want to get more specific about which audience or audiences you plan to reach and on which channels and with what collateral or marketing materials. As I mentioned, you might have multiple audiences or stakeholders. And this is again why all your prep work is so important. Whatever audience you're trying to convince to act should guide your marketing campaign materials as well as where and when you place them. So the who, what, where, when of your audience, things like basic demographics, their needs, uh, who they might be going to as a competitor of yours, those are all somewhat covered with your market research and once you've established your specific practice goals. So now we're gonna talk about the why they would choose you, which is your value proposition, and the how, your marketing channels and content or collateral. So one of the most important parts of developing a convincing message is to figure out why someone would choose you, your practice, and then to use that in your campaign messaging. Why along that hourglass would they choose you over competitors? Is it your brand? Maybe it's time, convenience, cost, customer service. Let's talk first about your brand. Your brand is the promise, expectations, and experiences that live inside a customer's mind about a company, a product, or a service. 
again, since marketing is a customer or audience-driven activity, it's important to develop a brand that your patients, colleagues, and other stakeholders will trust and want to associate with. If your brand or your value proposition doesn't actually convey value, your marketing will be pretty ineffective. So to start, try to describe your practice in 50 words or less on paper or in 30 seconds or less when speaking. What's your vision, your long-term goal or plan? And what's your mission, your core business or what you're doing right now to serve? Why does your practice exist? What makes you passionate about caring for patients? Use your research, your personal relationships, patient surveys, and other tools to develop your short pitch that can convince patients and other stakeholders about who you are. And remember, you may need a slightly different version by audience. Practice giving your 30-second pitch as if during an interaction with a patient, a legislator, or other decision maker. Your brand's basic vision and mission won't change, but think about how you might need to adjust your value proposition by audience. Next, when developing your value proposition, think about what else can differentiate your practice. Why, as they move further through that hourglass, would they choose you? Is it your brand? It may be cost. 88% say whether a practice accepts their insurance or not is an important factor in their choice of doctor. It may be service or product quality, customer service. 76% of millennials consider patient reviews, ratings, and feedback on sites like Yelp or HealthGrades when selecting a doctor. So that makes it clear how important your customer service and how you conduct your practice operations is. Putting some of these thoughts on paper should allow you to develop a short statement about your brand's value proposition. And from there, you can guide development of additional marketing materials. Be sure to share your value proposition with staff and anyone responsible for marketing, along with all of your policies and procedures on email, social media, etc., so that everyone is on the same page about communicating. And speaking of that, ABC, always be communicating. Part of marketing is being there when the customer needs you most. So the more often you talk to stakeholders in a relevant way, the more they'll stick to your funnel or hourglass. Ask staff what FAQs you're getting from patients. Think about de developing marketing materials that communicate what they need most or want to see. Um, inform the practice or, or inform them that the practice is open for in-person visits. Note your new operating hours. Tell them about COVID-19 safety to ease any concerns and ensure their comfort. You can send out patient resources or information like forms for telemedicine or a risk assessment piece or pre-visit checklists. Educate on how your care is offered. And then update your website to make sure that all of those policies and procedures are available for them to browse through. Consider sending a survey after each visit or uh, during checkout to ask for feedback on those new protocols or for how you're communicating with them overall. On the colleague side, you could ask after the status of their practice. Are they fully operational? How did they adjust their operations and referral patterns for COVID-19? 
You can inform them that you're open for in-person visits and telemedicine visits. Inform them of the changes in your practice, including COVID-19 safety protocols. If you create a script for your staff to ensure a consistent message is being shared with all your patients and others, you'll create certainty. And that certainty through consistent and relevant communication can become part of your brand's value proposition as well. Lena, now that we've talked about the audiences with all of their nuances and to have an awesome value proposition for them, the big question is, how do we reach them? Or how will they get to us? Through your channels. Things like your website, social media, print media, direct interactions, and review sites. All of these channels fall into three basic categories. Owned, earned, and paid media channels. Owned media are the assets you own, like your website, your blog, your social media accounts, business collateral like business cards, flyers, or your patient portal. Earned media are anything that you own, but that you didn't pay for. Likes, shares, reviews on review websites, things like that. It's your digital word of mouth. Paid media is anything you pay for. Banner ads, display ads, and even direct mail postcards. So you want to really leverage your owned media and heavily encourage earned media from patients and other stakeholders, because then you can attract even more people to your practice without heading into the paid media territory. And the way to do that, especially on social media, the way to engage people through your owned and earned media is to use what I like to call the one-third strategy. You want to balance your content to be about one-third about you and the practice, one-third about them and how you serve them, and then one-third about the big picture. So general information that they should know, industry news, public health news, thought leadership, things like that. We're going to talk more about specific channels as we do. You might want to jot down the ones you have now or the ones you'd like to explore. And then when you're developing your overall marketing plan, I'd suggest going back to the hourglass stages and from engagement through expansion, just try to map out the patient or customer journey through that, that hourglass. For each of your audiences and each section of the hourglass, list at least one piece of collateral and or one channel that might aid in their decision to choose you. If at any decision point you feel frustrated, confused, or as if there's a barrier to making that decision to choose your practice, stop there and try and correct it. And by the way, don't forget to, to include things that make it easy for them to keep choosing you or to become a champion for your practice as they reach the bottom of the hourglass. Things like a flyer asking patients to review your practice or following up with patients after a visit. All right. So the first and most obvious channel you have to leverage is one that you own, your website. The essentials for your website are that it's convenient and easy to navigate, that you have your phone number, hours of operation, and address clearly displayed on your home, about, or contact us page, that you have up-to-date pictures and bios for each physician or provider at the practice, 
that you have a description and information for all services provided and that you update them regularly. For instance, if you've added telemedicine to your practice, you want to make sure that's represented somewhere on your website. You also want to have instructions for patient onboarding and maintenance of information. And then finally, you'll need a mobile optimized version of your website. Uh, most websites have a mobile optimized version already built in. Things that are good to have for your website are portal access, online payment portals, one-click chat or call, online scheduling, links to your social media sites or to review sites, patient education, FAQs on key services, and in multiple formats, including multiple languages. Um, you'd also want to have your patient forms and a writable version, if possible. Patient feedback or satisfaction surveys. And finally, search engine optimization. As I mentioned, these are all things that are good to have, but they're not essentials. And so it's really important that you analyze whether or not some of these things are for you. I want to talk specifically about search engine optimization because there's a lot of uh, uh, drama about um, being online, being on the front page of Google, and all of that's important. But if you want to move forward with search engine optimization, the real first step is just to set up a Google Analytics account and Google Search Console so you can start tracking how people find your site and how they behave when they get there. As I mentioned, this level of detail is not for everyone. And so if SEO serves no purpose toward your stated goal, like the 100 Facebook followers from the earlier example, or if there are other ways to reach your goal, you really have to think about whether it's worth it to implement SEO tactics instead of focusing on the other things you're able to do that will have a bigger impact. So in other words, just don't focus on the Google algorithm, but then completely forget about making sure your customer service is as stellar as it could be, or forget about asking patients to tag you or review your practice. The next thing to do if you want to implement SEO is to do a few searches from a patient perspective and just see if your practice pops up. There's a, a Google Chrome add-on called Keywords Everywhere that can show you related keywords to your search. And it will also show you what people are also for searching for related to your search. If you start there when adding keywords to your site content and metadata, you'll be 90% of the way to a great SEO program. Working through search engine optimization process can be overwhelming. So I want to point out that TMA offers a webinar in the Education Center specific to this topic. Look for a link in this episode's description. Now, Lena, what about social media? This seems to be the easiest and I'm guessing the cheapest option. The one thing I'll say up front is that you really need to balance the time, cost, quality of your posts, and potential return for each of these platforms when you post. Always consider your audience. On social media, it may be much larger and sometimes less friendly than you might think. So first, Facebook. Some pros for this platform are that it's used by many across a lot of different audiences. It's very simple to use. We're all part of that program, or many of us are. 
So it might seem like a great place to start, but the cons are that it can sometimes be controversial and that there is a relatively limited return for organic posting. You really need to be spending money placing ads in order to reach your optimal audience. So potential uses and collateral would include things like posting practice news or information, events, fun aspects of the practice. You can see that a lot of folks are on Facebook. So if all you want is just to have one social media profile that you can maintain, this might be the one to have. The next platform we're gonna talk about is Twitter. Some pros here are that it's also easy to use, but it's unlikely to be the source of viral feedback. Um, Twitter is not going to necessarily be where a lot of people get into trouble as they might on Facebook with posts, but it still includes a lot of quick bursts of information and you need to post relatively often in order for it to be valuable. So your potential uses here might be announcements or public service or event type pieces that can be out there, but that don't need to be seen right away. Next is LinkedIn. There are a lot of pros to this platform. And as we've all been pushed into um, a more digital existence, this has really risen in popularity. It's less controversial and it's great for inspirational or thought leadership pieces, as well as content marketing, which is basically marketing that's also meant to be informational. The cons here are that it's still less widely utilized, um, but there are some great uses that you can uh, that you can use this for. So post specific to the healthcare industry, like news and information or sharing with colleagues networking with colleagues for referrals, um, thought leadership pieces, as I mentioned, even reputation building. Uh, if you are looking to be picked up by um, um, a, another entity or you want to be in an employed setting, it can be a great place to put your brand out there. The next one is Instagram. This one is great for visually impactful content. However, it's terrible for sharing information um, as a business. So as a practice, you might wanna focus more on sharing de-identified visuals. Um, it could be your practice location or setting if that is a real differentiator for you. And finally, Google. So Google Ads platform is a paid platform, but there are lots of pros for working with uh, Google services. Six in 10 choose a practice in part based on location, and Google has made it really easy to claim your business, Google it, um, by Googling your business and claiming your post. The cons here are that they are kind of everywhere and it can be information overload. So you wanna use this very sparingly and specifically to bolster your goals. Data collection and analysis, you can find information on how you can approve, you can find information for who's visiting your website, and then when you're ready to get deeper into the paid things, you could do things like location or geo-targeting 
or posting videos on YouTube that you then serve to a targeted audience. Those are wonderful tips to consider when looking at social media for marketing. What about actual print marketing though? So some print and mass media options include uh, ads or advertorials, TV, radio, conferences and events, and then also third-party websites. Most of these can be pretty pricey to get placements on, but for every one of these, there's now uh, a digital version that may be less expensive. So look for the places that your audience is likely to be, and if there's a way to leverage those spaces inexpensively, do it. I'm thinking about things like digital magazines, internet streaming, Spotify or Pandora, virtual conferences, events, and trade shows. Don't forget to use payer websites and others. And think about related platforms that your target audience uses most. Where do they look for information, inspiration, or help? Submit your content there. It's often needed. If you've ever heard of the term content is king, then you know what I'm talking about. If you make yourself and your content available and then ask for backlinks back to your practice website, and if you're acknowledged as a contributor, all of that makes it so that you could become a trusted thought leader in your field or in your community. Also look at sponsorship of virtual conferences like health fairs or wellness talks. Because they're online, you may be able to do this much more cheaply than you have in the past. These are great ways to boost your visibility without spending a whole lot of money to advertise because print traditionally is pretty pricey. Some direct channels you might use include direct mail, phone calls, in-person visits, telemedicine visits, online interactions, HIPAA compliant messaging, if you're able to do that with patients or other stakeholders, practice visits for physician referrals, and also word of mouth. And here I really wanna focus in on word of mouth. Direct marketing can be also very pricey, but word of mouth is basically free and it is the ultimate form of earned media. One happy customer can lead to nine referrals. This is per an American Express study. But one angry customer generates at least 16 anti-referrals, people who actively work against your practice. For every one complaint you actually receive, there are typically around 26 angry customers represented, those who might have had the same problems but have either already written you off or will become one of those angry customers working against you rather than complain to you directly. So it's really essential that you focus in on your customer service. One of the last channels we're gonna talk about is review sites. Review sites are essential to building your practice. 94% of patients say they use online reviews to evaluate physicians. So the very first thing you need to do is go out and claim your profiles. Don't look at just the practice. Look up individual physicians in the practice because they might have pages on review sites as well. Patient ratings of physicians are always ranked as most important to others versus quality of care or anything else. So the word of mouth factor is absolutely key. And how your patients rate your service is key to having a great ranking. 
the cons here are that you have to claim and manage your profiles. Most of the time, a practice or physician page exists even if you didn't create it, and so you will need to claim it. Once claimed, you can update the page. You can usually appeal negative reviews, but you need to have a solid case for why they should be removed, and so you shouldn't rely on this as a solution. Make sure you gather and organize information about all of your current ratings or rankings, establish baselines, and then set measurable goals for how you're going to improve or add to the volume of your reviews. Implement countermeasures where needed. So if a weakness for your practice is a ton of poor reviews, then a countermeasure might be to make sure that for every patient interaction, you're asking for that patient review and then making it really easy for them to go out and do it. Set up a regular monitoring routine, either monthly or quarterly, and then adjust as necessary. Negative reviews can be very frustrating. It's certainly not the place to engage with an angry patient. So unlike other businesses' reviews, it's really one-sided. What can physicians do? So how should you handle negative reviews that are already there? Millions of reviews are written and read each year, including negative reviews. But most reviews are positive. So one way you can stem the tide of any negative reviews online is to include a free form box in your patient survey. That gives patients a place to, a place to vent and so if they've given you a bad review in the patient survey, hopefully you can respond to their concerns privately and they won't feel like they have to take them online. Next, also resist the urge to react immediately if you see a bad review. Manage things according to practice policy and never respond directly to the review. You can contact the platform administrator or owner to understand its review or appeals process, and then if warranted, submit an appeal. But as I said, don't rely on the appeal. Also, if warranted, you could contact your attorney and your medical liability insurance company regarding the review. But lawsuits really are the last answer when it comes to responding to online posts. They take time, money, and are only rarely successful. Plus, they can be a PR nightmare, even when justified. Anything you say in response to a post could come back to haunt you in court as well. So you want to consider taking a step back and examining the complaint closely and then following your practice procedure. Finally, as I mentioned, be proactive. Use patient surveys to ID problems sooner, and then use poor reviews as opportunities to improve. Your absolute best defense is exceptional customer service. But patients complain online four times as often about a medical practice's customer service, such as receptionist cordiality and doctor's bedside manner, than about a doctor's ability to heal. So keep in mind that your customer service is key. I want to shift the conversation now. Let's talk about tracking. How are we going to know if our marketing efforts are successful? What should we look for? 
when planning out your marketing, no one can know what success looks like but you. So once you've put all of these pieces together, your audience, your channels, your content, and your message, if you don't define the baseline before you start your campaign, having a lot of likes for what you post or a lot of engagement, traffic on your website doesn't really matter. What does success look like for you? Make sure that you're meeting your goals and you're measuring your progress on the way. If you set up a tracking ahead of time and use attribution where you can, such as on digital platforms, decide what your reporting tools are, or simply do things like ask patients or physicians why or where they saw you, why they chose you. Track what matters to your practice. So that's the R in SMART. Again, the relevancy of what you're doing. All of this is necessary for adequate goal setting and for meeting your goals successfully. Next, gain insights and adjust. Identify your best practices, what you're doing well, what's been working, and then use the 70-20-10 rule. Spend 70% on core proven strategies, 20% on auxiliary marketing using the same message, but maybe a different platform or a different message on the same platform. Adjust those tiny things around the edges to see what might work better or to change up what you're doing. And then 10% on experimental campaigns. As I mentioned, marketing is an experiment, and sometimes you need to experiment to find something that works. So it's okay to try something new. These initiatives will teach you your best lessons because either you'll fail miserably um, or they'll offer the biggest successes. What's one thing you would benchmark? One thing that you as a practice will want to benchmark is your cost per event or cost per action. Essentially, what did it cost you for each one of the desired activities? Going back to why it's important to set SMART goals, if it costs you $1,000 to get 100 Facebook followers, that would be a lot less exciting than if, than if it cost you $1,000 to get 100 new patient inquiries. One is much more likely to get you to your larger practice goals. And so if you're tracking some of those things, you can invest more of your resources, your time, your energy, your money into what's working versus what's not. So we've covered a lot here, and I want to give you an easy way to remember the aspects of a successful marketing plan. So I've developed this acronym, the game plan. Um, G stands for goal. How will the campaign contribute to your larger practice goals? A stands for audience and channels. Which audience is the campaign supposed to reach and where can you find them? M stands for message and media. What collateral will you deploy? Does it make sense for your goals and audiences? And finally, E, expectations. How will you measure your, your progress? How will you measure success? And what happens if the benchmarks or milestones along the way are met? What happens if not? Good acronym. I like that. GAME. G-A-M-E. Lena, thank you for breaking down the marketing process. I feel like I've got a pretty good grip on it. 
Do you have any last tips to share? So I want to close this out with some marketing do's and don'ts. I think this will be really helpful for just kind of keeping some things in mind um, as you're developing your campaigns. Do create a professional persona, a brand for your practice. Also know what you do well and how you can do better. You can do this by conducting a SWOT. Have a content or campaign game plan and use the one-third strategy for your content. Tailor your messaging and your channels to your audience. Plan the path your audience will take to get to you through the hourglass. Try to communicate about experiences and not just information and communicate often. Promote your presence on social media and review sites to existing and potential patients and other stakeholders. Leverage your owned and earned media. Use mentions, tagging, encourage shares, and repurpose content across platforms. Ask patients to share their experience. More positive reviews will make a negative one much less damaging. Tag your colleagues, institutions, and other entities that you would like to associate with your practice brand and ask to be tagged back. Communicate your online policies to staff so you're all on the same page. And finally, measure and adjust as you go. Here are some marketing don'ts. Don't leave your online presence unmanaged. If you don't see it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. Don't talk only about yourself. Don't stick to the campaign or messaging plan no matter what, or feed negativity online. You shouldn't allow staff to do that either. Don't produce or post marketing materials without a purpose or a goal in mind. Don't use channels that don't match your audience. And don't forget a call to action when appropriate so that they continue to move through that hourglass. Here are some real big don'ts that you want to make sure you pay attention to. Don't violate HIPAA by sharing or confirming protected health information. So never identify a patient in a post or using a picture of a patient without written consent. Never respond or follow up with a patient review, positive or negative, online. Even identifying that someone is a patient of the practice can be a HIPAA violation, so you want to be really careful. And if you know who a negative post or review is from, just use the phone if you will contact that person so that you're keeping all of your ducks in a row. Finally, don't be complacent. DMB discipline for inappropriate advertising can include license revocation and civil penalties. And physicians are personally responsible for any representation made to the public on their behalf. So just pay attention to what you are doing with your marketing program. TMA has adopted ethics opinions regarding advertising. So you can see the TMA white paper called the regulation of physician advertising at textmed.org slash legal white papers, or you can speak to your attorney. Understanding what you can and cannot do ahead of time obviously will save you a lot of headaches in the long run. Lena, thank you for mentioning the TMA white paper. That is a valuable resource. And thank you also for joining us today. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It was my pleasure to have you. 
physicians. You can claim CME credit for today's podcast and other TMA Practice Well podcast. Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's C-M-E-T-O-G-O. Register for your podcast and follow the instructions to claim CME. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Like and follow to receive more. Until next time, stay well.